We started a series, I Choose, Serving God as a Personal Choice. Serving God is a Personal Choice. We were in Joshua. In fact, you can turn with me again to Joshua chapter 24. Let's read that passage again. We want to get an understanding as to where we were and why we have this theme, I Choose. Joshua chapter 24 from verse 14, and we're reading through to verse 18. When you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, say hold up. Can you read for me after four, three, four? Amen. So over the last couple of weeks, we were looking at what does it mean to serve God? What does it really mean to serve God? Because I think from, for most of us, we have been hearing this concept about serving God, but for many of us, we don't know what it really means. What does it mean to serve God? And we said that serving God is an expression or an outworking of our love for him. So we say that we love God, and the expression of our love for him is service. That we're serving God based on not just our own desire for religiosity, but we are serving God as an outworking of our love for him. So you love God, so you serve him because of your love for him. We said also that service to God is evidence of our maturity and our growth in Christ. When we are serving God, it's evidence that we have grown and we have become more mature in Christ. And we said that, we looked at the, the discipleship wheel, and we said that after an individual has come to know Christ, they are a babe. And this is why Peter spoke about desiring the sincere milk of the word. And you see that there is that baby stage of our development, that we don't know anything much. We just come to know God, and we're ignorant of the things of God. So that's why we have to be taught the basic principles. We said also that uh, as we grow now, we become a child. And the central focus of childhood is selfishness. That a child focuses on his or herself only or mainly. And I think some of us have children and you know that the whole philosophy of a child's life is me, myself, and I. That's the whole philosophy of a child's life. And when things are discomforting to that child, he or she throws a tantrum or cries. 
So we said here that the children, that's the concept of children. And spiritually, we see the same thing. That there are people who are in church and they are either babes or children. They don't know anything about God. Or even as they have come to a knowledge, they're still in that place of self-centeredness. And when things don't go their way, they throw tantrums. You see me? I like that church. I gone from here. Or you see that they start to cry after everything when it's not comforting to them. That's children. And we said that as we become more mature and we come to a place of young adulthood or we come to that place of maturity, the central characteristic of maturity is service. So that an individual who has become mature in Christ, they tend to want to serve God and to serve in the things of God. So that the central characteristic of maturity, and we saw it even in our own home. I gave the illustration that when you, are, you, you come home as a parent or you come home as an adult, you see things that need to be done. The children will be home all day. Teenagers home all day. And you walk into the house and you don't know why it is the wares are still in the sink. Why it is things are still on the floor. Because you have not told them to pick it up. So that what we understand is that children or those who are immature do chores. But maturity breeds service. And in the church, there are people who are doing things in church, but it's just chores. Because they are doing things only that which is told to be done. And sometimes the attitude in which it is done lets you know that I really don't want to do this. And you know, sometimes, well, we have three children, so sometimes you'll, you'll tell a child to do something and they will go about doing it because you're a parent. But the attitude that goes with the action, see me, I don't, I don't know why it is, this is not, this one is not the one, um, th this is not my week to wash the ways. Why it is I had to go and wash ways. I don't know, I cleaned the living room this morning and look at it, it's not I who put that there. Not so? Children. And when we come into the things of God, we have people who have the same mentality. And what we are saying is that maturity moves that out of our mind and brings us into a place of, I want to serve. And I do it without murmuring. I do it with an attitude, an attitude of love towards God. And I say, whatever I am doing, it is unto the Lord and I am blessing God for it. Amen? So we say here that service is an expression or is evidence of our growth and maturity in Christ. We also say that service comprises deliberate action and intentions that respond to our revelation of who God is. Service is deliberate action and the correct intentions that respond to our revelation of who God is. When you understand who God is, there is action that follows. When you have a revelation of who God really is, there are things that you're going to be doing for the honor and glory of God because you recognize that this is the true and the living God. In our lives, brothers and sisters, the revelation, I, I, I tell people, when you get God right, you get everything else right. And in your life, when you understand who God is, you're going to recognize that your life falls in line with what God has desired. The problem that we have is that many people live their life, even coming to church, without a true revelation of who God is. 
And this is why there's no deliberate action. There's no intentionality as it pertains to what we do. So sometimes we come to church and we may not come to church because we want to really serve God. We're coming to church because it satisfies our religious appetite. You know, I need to go to church on a Sunday morning. But it's their deliberate intentionality. I want to serve God. And a lot of times in our, our whole perspective of, of life as a Christian, we become consumerized in our mentality. What does that mean? Consumer Christians, are we only come to receive or we only come to purchase something rather than to give and to serve. So for example, we may be worshiping God or the, the song may be singing, and the worship leaders may be, may be singing their songs and, and we have the musicians and they're playing, whatever. And we are waiting to be moved. So we are waiting to receive something to cause me to move. Rather than I'm coming here to worship God, to give of myself to God. You all remember that song? I don't know if you all sing it. I give myself away. You all remember that song? You all sing that? That's a lie, you know. Some of us come here and we ain't giving nothing to God. We ain't giving ourselves away. We sit down here and I shall not be moved. I like a tree planted. That's the song we should be singing. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. <laughs> Just like a tree planted by the water, river, I shall not be moved. Because nothing happens, moves you. Why? Because you're waiting for somebody to do something to you. In order for you to move to serve God or to worship God. Instead of us just coming spontaneously and reaching out unto God. Lord, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to give myself away. I'm here to give myself to you. You're not waiting for somebody. You know, when you're going to those basketball games and, and football games, you're seeing cheerleaders and things like that. You all remember that? You see it if you're, you're an NBA fan. and You would see that half time you have cheerleaders who will come with a short skirt and the pom-poms and, and they're cheering you on in order to get you to be stimulated to back this team. But you know what? True fans don't need no cheerleader to come and say, you understand? When you, when you come there and you are a diehard Lakers fan or a diehard Cavs fan or a diehard whoever, you don't need no cheerleader to come and tell you, come on, clap for your team, clap for your team, clap for your team. No, 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 you're nothing to that. You come here ready to clap because you know why you're expecting victory. You want them to win. Amen? And that's how we're supposed to come to God. We're not waiting for somebody to cheer us on, cheer us on, cheer us on. We come to serve God. And this thing about waiting for, God forbid, if the musician don't come to church one day, how worship is going to be? Think about that. If you come to church and Something David decided he's not coming to church. You see me, I ain't coming to that church this morning. Or the drummer decided I ain't coming to church that, this morning. How would worship be? It, who said that? <laughs> God loves truth. And he said what all Ollie was thinking. You see? But we must be able to understand something. That is not the music that creates the worship. It's my heart that calls out unto God. And there was a point in time where church didn't have music. You understand? 
Why? Because there were people who were ready to serve God. And when you come, you worship God from the depths of your heart. Music or no music, you're praising God. Why? Because there's something going on on the inside of you. When you're home, how many of you all have a musician at home? Let me see your hands. One, two people have musicians at home. Three, you have musicians at home? So when you're worshiping God at home, the musicians is be on the keyboards and the drums and things like that, correct? Yeah? Well, one person. Well, you are a singer, so you... The point I'm making is this, that we don't wait for musicians. We don't wait for singers. We don't wait. We come in here to worship God, whether, in fact, if it's me alone here, we're worshiping. You know, sometimes people come to church and, oh gosh, how did you so scanty today? And you're feeling dreary, dreary, dreary because somebody, you know, didn't come to church or because you find the church less scanty and things like that. So you come today, today look kind of foolish and they say, oh gosh, real worship, real nice. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. And all these things are real in our hearts and our minds. These things affect us, not so. And what we are saying is that we're supposed to come with an attitude that these things don't affect us. Little is much when God is in it. If it's me and the Lord alone, wow. I am committed. I tell people, and Sister Renee know it, and those of you who were here from the beginning, I preach to five people like I'm preaching to 50,000 people. If it's five people here preaching. You understand? Yeah. I don't wait because I have a word to minister. God deposit within me a message. I tell people I stopped preaching sermons a long time ago. I deliver in a message. And if it's five people here, then that's the five people who got to get this message. You understand what I'm saying? And when we come to worship God, when we come to serve God, we must come with that mentality and that attitude. No matter who else is here. If in fact you walk in church and God forbid, it's just you and one, two or three people, guess what is more for you to receive? <laughs> I wonder if you understand what I'm saying. You don't have to wait to see, okay, well, you know, this crowd and every time you're looking around to see. If you don't want to be distracted, come up in front. You understand? So you wouldn't know when other people come and when they don't come. So come and sit down in front. For those of you who are kind of fairly new, in this church we don't have reserved seats. Eh? So I, I realize that these front row seats always be left. It's it, not that it's reserved for anybody. Eh? So if you want to come up in front, you can feel free to come up in front. You understand? And then nobody here, for those of you who didn't know, nobody here have any seat. You understand? You see that? You see that? I'm going to upset you. They always sit on here. Right? Every time they come to church, they sit on here. If you come before them and you feel you want to sit on here, guess what? You can sit on here. You understand? It has it nobody here who have no. In fact, even if you didn't buy the seat, you give it to the church. Everybody here have only one seat. And when you're leaving, you're leaving with that. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying to us? But when we come to church to serve God, there are things like these that come in the way. I remember, and I will tell you this, there was one time we were on the other side there. I saw something took place. We were in worship. 
We were in prayer before. You see, like how we normally start. And by the way, those of you who don't know, we normally start at 9 promptly in church here. When the long hand is on 12 and the short hand is on 9, we normally start. And we start in prayer. And I remember this particular morning, we were praying. And I saw something. Some people came up this step. Two people came up this step. And as they turned to go to a seat, there was a gentleman sitting in, in the seat that they would normally go to. And I'm praying, but you know the word declares, watch and pray, right? <laughs> so I'm praying, and I see this, and as soon as the person came up, they hold their head so, and somebody was in their seat. And I saw one of the persons went to talk with the person, and I didn't know what was said, because I didn't hear, but I saw the person moved from the seat. So apparently, they got the message that they wanted to, that other person wanted to sit down there. That evening... I made a very uncomfortable phone call. And I said to that person who gave that instructions, I said, here at Covenant Life Transformation Ministries, nobody owns any seat. And if somebody comes here early and sits in a particular place, no one has the right to discomfort that individual and say to them, move from that seat. No one. I wouldn't do it, and you shouldn't do it either. Of course, the person apologized and things like that. But I needed to make that call because of the fact that no matter who it is, we need to be able to know that when we come into the things of God, this is a family. And when we come as family, it's not about rank. It's not about who is this and who is that. All of us are family. We are one in Christ Jesus. Amen? And when we serve in God, we got to do so with the understanding that we ought to prefer each other. We got to take care of each other. We can't be trying to say, okay, well, this is my seat, this is his seat. This is, that's why I tell people we have no reserve seats. Sometimes I come out here, we had something. I would normally sit down here. If I, all these seats was full, I come and sit down here. It's not that God more anointed on this side. It's not at the back. Some or the other, some people feel that the anointing of God is at the back or at the front. That's not the case. We could have been on that tree and the anointing of God would have still been here. So it's when we come, the attitude that we have, that's what determines how God moves in us. Amen? So we say that it's about our actions. There must be deliberate actions and our intentions. We went in to share with you all last day about the things that we do. Like, for example, prayer, giving, and, and fasting. And we said that these things that we do ought not to be for show. When you give your offering to the poor, when you give things to the poor, you give your tithe or whatever you give, the alms, when he talk about alms in Matthew chapter 6 there, is really about giving to the poor, giving what we refer to as charity. And he says, when you're diving to the poor, you don't sound your alarm. You don't blow the trumpet. In Trinidad, you don't take your selfie. That's the trumpet. Because what you're doing, if you're doing it just for people to see, then that's your reward. People see. But if what you're doing is for the Lord, then do it in secrecy. Don't, you don't have to show off what you do. And what he was looking at here is the intention. It's not just about doing something. But it's the intention. What's the heart? When we are serving God, because given to the poor, given to the church, given to um, your tithe, given your offering, whatever you do, that's as unto the Lord. That's part of your service. But when we do it, we have to do it with the right heart and the right mentality. Amen? You're not doing it for people to see. Because if you do it only for people to see, then that's your reward. People have seen. If you're doing it for applause, 
and people give you applause, well, that's your reward. I think God is fair. You don't think so? If you do something for something and you get what you did it for, and that's fairness. So if you do something for people to see and people see, then what are you looking for God to give you more rewards for? You already get what you wanted. But if you did something for God to see and for his reward, then you wait on that. And when he delivers his reward, then you know you have received what you... But if you're doing things just for somebody else to see and to applaud you and to appreciate what you have done, then as you receive the applause, take your bow. Same thing with prayer. He says, you're not praying. You're not going to stand in the, in the street corner and pray just for people to see. Now, what he was saying there is not that you ought not to pray or you're not to have public prayer. But it's the intention of the public prayer. If you're standing up and you go to, you know, like, for example, next week I'm supposed to be praying on the promenade. So if I go on the promenade to pray just to see how much people in Porter, no, we didn't see, how much people in Tongo see Pastor Ken pray. And I put on my best, thou art this and thou art that and, you know, and, and, and all of it is just for people to see and people to hear and people to say, Pastor Kent, he's a good prayer boy. <laughs> then that's all. I wouldn't expect then any answer for the prayer. The answer for the prayer is people have seen. And same thing with fasting. We finish our 21-day prayer and fast. And we, every year we would normally start with prayer and fast. You ain't going and say, okay, well, everybody, I don't know you're fasting. You're pulling your pants quite up here and pulling it tight, 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 tight. <laughs> and you're walking and you're, 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 you're keeping your mouth white, white, white so that, you know, people are going to say, hey, how, well, how are you looking? Boy, you're fasting. <laughs> and you're putting on your skinniest of clothes and you're wearing black every day because you're fasting and you want people to see that you're so spiritual and you're so holy and you're so righteous that you could spend this time 21 days in fasting. So everybody, don't let it be like that. So our service have to go beyond just for people to see. Amen? And Jesus went on to say that what we have to do when we're serving God, we must serve God with obedience. We must be submissive to God in our service to him. Our service must be of self-sacrifice. Anytime you're serving God, it means that we are sacrificing ourselves. We are sacrificing our own time. Some people don't like to sacrifice time at all. What they will give God is the extras. You ever hear this? Come to church on Sunday now. Well, if I don't have anything to do. That's bit, what you say there? My service too long? What? No, she's saying that's what people say. Service too long. You all find the services is be too long? Some <laughs> Send that boy back in Sunday school. <laughs> yeah. God loves truth. In fact, people, a couple of people have told me the services are too long. And how much time we spend? Three hours, two and a half hours, three hours. And, some, and how many of you all came for nine? Let me see your hands. There's a few. All right. So, so what part is too long? From nine to 12.30? Or 10 to 12.30? Or 11 to 12? Which part is long? <laughs> And we say that when we serve in God, it must be of faith. Amen? So let me get into today's message before some people say I was preaching too long this morning. <laughs> but that's what we preached about last. 
today we want to talk a little more about service as a leader in the kingdom of God. What Joshua did here, if you look back at the chapter that we have been looking at, Joshua 24, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye. You choose what? You have to choose whom you're going to serve. So now he's throwing it, he's putting it to the children of Israel. You must make a choice. But now, as a leader, look what he says. And choose ye this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the flood, and we dealt with that last day, the gods of the Amorites the, in whose land he dwell. But for as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So one of the very first things that we see Joshua as the leader doing is that he is leading by example. He's saying that you got to choose which God you're going to serve. But as for me, I made my choice already. I am going to serve my God. And not only me, but my household. So that a leader has to lead by example. Wow. So what he is doing is he is putting forth, before you make up your mind, I am telling you what I will do. And leadership, when we're talking about serving in the kingdom of God, leaders lead by example. Every perspective of leadership in the kingdom of God is from the shepherding mentality. It's from the what? In that when God is leading his people, he's leading people with shepherds. And why this is important for us to understand is because he prefers shepherds to herdsmen. Herdsmen are those who mind cattle, who mind cows. And a herdsman stands from the back and whips the cattle for them to move. But the shepherd goes in front and leads the people. And within our context of Christianity and kingdom service, we must understand that as a leader in the kingdom, we have to put on a shepherding mentality, whereby we go in front and lead. We don't stand in the back and whip. And what I've learned over the years, because I've been in church for about 26 years, I've been saved. And what I've seen within Christianity and a lot of religious circles is that there's a lot of whipping to move rather than leading within the church. So that we have to understand that leadership must start with example. And in our lives, brothers and sisters, many of us would have different positions in life. And we must recognize that my position is for leadership. Whether it's in your home, whether it's on your job, whether it's in your school, you lead by example. Exemplary leaders. That's what we want to be able to see. We also see servant leaders. Jesus modeled that perspective of service um, as a leader. Not from the perspective of, I am taking dominion. In fact, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, from verse 20 to 28. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, what wilt thou? 
She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on the right and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what you ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We are able. And he said unto them, He shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with my baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, it is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them of whom it is prepared of my father. And then the ten heard. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation. They were angry against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise what? Dominion over them, and that the great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give him his life as a ransom for many. Jesus has given us this example. The disciples, James and John, they came with their mother, big men. Mommy came with these big men to say, hear this, when you enter into your kingdom, let my sons be one on the left and one on the right. She wants them to get into those seats of recognition. You are entering into your kingdom. You are entering into your rule. Let my sons be there with you. Now, it's important to note that James and John, together with Peter, they were three of the closest to Jesus. So they were already within Jesus' inner circle. But the mother wanted more recognition. They wanted to have greater authority, greater power, greater esteem. And Jesus said, hear this, the Gentiles rule with dominion and authority over people. Now, there's a need for us to understand our dominion in Christ. There's a need for us to understand our authority in Christ. But my authority is not over people. Your dominion is not over people. When God made man, he gave him dominion over the earth and the things of the earth, not over other people. And within our context within Christianity and religious life, there is something that I have preached about for several years now. They call it charismatic witchcraft. And charismatic witchcraft is not about obia and the occult. It's about where an individual uses their influence to control the lives of other people. Where because of your position, you, you manipulate and you control people's lives. And it is very prominent within churches. It is very prominent within religion. It is very prominent within cults. Where influence is used to control people's lives. Because I'm a pastor, you've got to do everything I say. So this is why when you go on the internet, you can see a pastor commanding people to eat grass. And to drink pee. And to do things like that. Charismatic witchcraft. Only because of who he is, they will do it. And that's wrong. And that's an abuse 
of the power that God has given. And what Jesus is saying is this. You are not to use your position in Christ for dominion over other people and to take authority over people's lives. That's not what it's for. If you are a leader in the things of God, he goes on to say, the greatest among you got to be a minister. And the word minister means servant. He says, the greatest among you, if you want to be great, you got to serve. And it says to me that if our attitude is not one of service, no matter what position we are in, you're not great. No matter where you are positioned, if the attitude is not one of service, then you're still small. Because the mentality has not grown out of that perspective that I have to dominate and be domineering and control people's lives in order to get things done. If you cannot lead by example and you're only leading by the strong rod, then you are not an effective leader. If people seeing you cannot be motivated, and this is why even in the concepts of management, you see one of the best tools of management is motivation and the ability to motivate others. And that happens, first of all, by the example that you lead. There are some people who do not have the moral authority to lead. Because no matter what position they are in, deep down within, people are seeing something totally contrary to what you are seeing. Hypocrisy, we call it. So you are telling me to do something, but you are not doing what you are telling me to do. And what Jesus is saying is this, that we got to serve. Tell your neighbor, we got to serve. If you want to be great, you got to be a minister. you got to be a servant. The word minister means servant. And the concept of minister, from the Greek, gives you an understanding as the one who waits, one who serves, one who actually goes about serving. The next line says, that he that be chief, and whosoever will be chief, one translation says, he, whosoever will be the first among you. Who is going to be the first mentioned? Let him be your. The Greek word there for servant is doulos. And I spoke about it last day. And that's the word that is normally translated slave. So that the concept here is this. That the first mention is that one who has the desire to serve without reward and recognition. I told people that I spent 20 years in a ministry, 10 and a half was full-time, and some people didn't understand what I said, and you know, they seemed that, it seemed that the statement that I made seemed to be so self-degrading and whatever it is. I said I served for 20 years without ambition. I did not have ambition to take over anything. I did not have ambition for recognition. I didn't have ambition for position or, 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 or prestige or esteem or anything like that. All I went there to do was to serve. And in our lives, our day-to-day -day operations and how our culture, in fact, the world is, that there's always a drive towards being ambitious. Maslow spoke about the hierarchy of needs, and the top one is self-actualization. And what he says is that there are people whose drive is to reach to the top of the pinnacle, where you have actualized, where you have become, you know, the best that you can be. And what we have seen is that even within the kingdom of God, we are seeing that a lot of people, that's the, the perspective, that they want to be able to reach to the top of the pinnacle. So we see people climbing on others in order to get up. 
So that in order, so if a brother or a sister becomes elevated in any way, becomes ordained as a minister, you see, I don't like she. How does she go be a minister? How does he go be a minister? How does that? And we, we do all types of things to pull others down rather than to help push up people. The best way to accomplish your goals, your dreams, and your vision is to help others accomplish their goals, their dreams, and their vision. What you have to recognize, brothers and sisters, is that service is the key to your success. If we take it from a natural perspective, whatever job you're working on, the best thing that you can do on your job is to serve. To do the best that you can do to ensure that this organization becomes the best that it can be. Not every time. So you're looking at every five minutes, every ten minutes is taken careful note of because overtime is paid on the hour or every part thereof. You understand what I'm saying? And while you will have entitlement, what we are saying is this. That you're not going to be just driving towards that. You want to adopt an attitude of service. Service makes the difference. Leadership from Jesus' standpoint is servant leadership. And when you look at how he served brothers and sisters, he did it with all that he had. He said it this way, that I came to serve, not to be served, and to give myself as a ransom. Service is about self-sacrifice. When you sacrifice yourself, there's rewards that are going to be coming. Not always in this life. And let me tell you something. In this life, you're not going to get much reward for the things that you do. If you do it with the right mentality. If you want acclaim and recognition of men, go ahead and look for every opportunity for photo up and look for every opportunity for marketing, look for every opportunity in that regard. You, you're going to get the rewards. You're going to get the recognition. You're going to get a bigger pay. You're going to get all those things. If that's what you're looking for, you're going to get it. But if you're looking for God to be pleased with you, then you do it from the depths of your heart. And whatever you do, God is going to see it. He's going to recognize you for it. And that's in the kingdom of God, that's what he wants us to do. Whatever he's calling you to do, you do it to the best of your ability because that's what he wants you to do. Amen? So he says, serve. It's about service. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Verse 10 and 11. We're going to come back to Matthew in a little while. What does it say? 10 and 11, please. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak... Let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gave it, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here Peter is giving us an understanding that our service to God must be based on the ability that he has given us. Who has given us the ability? So it's not that we are doing things in our own strength and with our own might. It's based on the ability that God has given us. This is what causes us to serve and to serve based on what he has given us. And he's calling it this. He says, every man 
hath received the gift. Even so, minister the same gift one to another. As good what? As good what? Stewards of the manifold grace of God. Or the many graces of God. And what he says here, if any man speak, let him speak as an oracle of God. If any man minister, let him do so as of the ability which God gave it. That God in all things may be what? As I said last week, that our effort for service is to glorify God. The whole objective of the things that we do has to be to bring glory and honor unto God. Not to bring glory and honor unto self, but to bring glory and honor unto God. Every single thing that we do as service unto God must be to bring glory unto him. It is not to bring glory unto man. It is not to bring glory unto me. It is to bring glory unto God. Everything that we do. Now, how do we do that? And last day, I spent a lot of time sharing with us how to serve each other. And that's part of it. In serving, we got to serve people. So our service to God has to be directed to him as well as to people. So the way we share, the way we give, the way we, whatever we do unto others, he says, as you do it unto them, you do it unto me. So what we are seeing here is this. He's, the gift that you have been given is the same you've got to minister one to another as good what? Stewards. As good what? Now, a steward is someone who works as a manager of somebody else's property. That's a steward. So that if I had a housekeeper, that housekeeper would be managing my house. They would be cleaning. They would be cooking. They would have access to my entire house as a steward. But that person doesn't own the house. The title, the deed is still in our names. And if you get what I'm saying. The concept of stewardship is that I serve someone else. And the things that I have, they are not mine, but they are that other person's own. And when we talk about servants or stewards of God, we understand that the things that I have, it's not my own. It's God's own. So one philosophy of stewardship is this. A steward owns nothing, but everything they have is owned by another. And when we look at that and we can internalize that with reference to us being stewards of God, you'll realize that the things that you have in your possession is not yours, but it's God's own. And if it's God's own, then your service to him is to manage that which he has given you, not just to possess it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25 from verse 14. Are you getting something? In fact, I want to challenge you all to read Matthew from chapters 18 straight down to 25. And you will get a lot of principles of stewardship and servanthood. He deals with it very much in these chapters. From chapter 18 straight through to 25. Are you there at Matthew 25 from 14? 14 to 30. What does it say? For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants, his own what? And delivered unto them his goods. 
And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to everyone according to his several what? Ability. And straightway took his journey. And he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained two other. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. That, and so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. And the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and what? Help me. Thou good and? Thou good and? Thou hast been faithful over few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was what? Afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful what? Thou wicked and slothful what? Servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou ought therefore to have put the, my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury interest. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a very familiar passage of scripture. And it talks about this, it's about this talent. And talent was not your ability to sing, dance, or play a musical instrument. Your talent, this talent here was a, a measure of money. And what he says here is this, that the Lord now, he was going on a journey and he gave his servant talents. He called three of them. He gave one five talents, one two talents, and the other one talent. Each one received based on their what? Do you remember what we read in Peter just now? That God gives based on abilities. How do you prove your ability based on what you have been doing with the little that you have? Our faithfulness in service, brothers and sisters, proves what God can trust us with. So he gives now a man who had the ability to manage to do what? He had the ability to manage five talents, so he gave him five. The other had the ability to manage two, so he gave him two. The other had the ability to manage one, so he gave him one. Each one received based on their several ability. And the word declares here now that the one who had five, he went and he managed it in such a way that it increased. And he got five more. 
The one who received two, he managed it in such a way that he got two more. So now he had four. The one who had one possessed it, buried it, did nothing with it, except return it to the boss when he came back. What I've learned from this, brothers and sisters, is that in our service to God, it's important that we have the right mentality about the person who we serve. The reason why this fellow did not do anything with the one talent he had was because of his attitude towards his boss. He had a bad attitude towards his boss. He said, boss, you are a hard man. You're doing things that are dishonest. That's what he says. You're reaping where you sow not. From his perspective, he didn't understand that this boss was an investor. So even though I am reaping where I sowed not, it is my money that is working for me. What he did there was an example of reaping where he sowed not. When he came back, the money that he gave, he gave people to work the money. And I want to give you a little strategy. You want to get ahead in business? I remember hearing this a long time ago. How many of you all work hard for your money? Let me see your hands. Let me see. Hard for your money. You work real hard for money. How many of us now put our money to work hard for us? So we have to be able to move now from only working hard for money and allowing our money to work hard for us by making wise investments that the money is now going to work. So even though you, like this boss, he went on a journey. He went on vacation or wherever he went. And his money was working. But somebody who was appointed to help to work that money did not do their job. And it was all because of attitude. Tell your neighbor, our attitude. Your service to God is dependent on the attitude you have towards him. This is why the actions are going to follow based on your attitude. The intention is going to follow based on your attitude. The way we see the person who we are working for is going to determine how we work for that person. If I am your boss and you see me as a real smart man, you see me as a real hog, you see me as a real whatever, guess what? You're going to be doing all kind of shortcut. You're going to be doing things. You just want to duck or you're going to be moving with fear. But if you respect the boss, no matter what attitude they have, no matter, you know, sometimes some bosses really have a bad attitude. But how do you esteem that person? How do you esteem that person? And I tell people that no matter who you work for, guess what? Pharaoh, Joseph, worked for Pharaoh. He worked for Potiphar. And in spite of how Pharaoh and Potiphar was, Potiphar was Pharaoh's right-hand man. And you know what Joseph did? He respected him. He honored him. He was honest with him. Pharaoh too, he respected Pharaoh. Pharaoh was an idolater. He was, uh, uh, not only was Pharaoh an idolater, he was also like a god. People saw Pharaoh as a god. But Joseph respected him. No matter where you work, your service to God is displayed in how you serve where you work as well. Because there are some people on the job, they are Christians, they are believers, but nobody would believe that. Because the way you treat the boss, the way you disrespect them, and you say, and sometimes we, we, we pull the righteous card. You see me? You see all the heathen? You see all the this and all the that? And all the, that's why all the go, go to hell. And that's why. And all, everybody in, on, on the job don't want to have nothing to do with you because of your disrespect, your discourtesy, your bad attitude, your bad habits. You're doing all types of things wrong. But then you're saying, you're a Christian. And you know, sometimes Christians have the holy look, eh? 
You know the holy look, right? You only know that look, right? So you're coming in, your Bible bigger than your bag, and you're coming in. And you walk in. And no matter, especially if they have a position in church, gosh, on the job, deacon, pastor, reverend, whatever you are, elder. And on the job, they don't want to hear nothing about elder. They don't want to hear nothing about deacon. They don't want to hear nothing about reverend. They don't want to hear nothing about none of that. They want to see how you work. You understand? The way you work, the way you carry about yourself, the job that you do, the attitude that you have, the habits that you display, that's what people are going to see. And when they see that, then they're going to say, hey, you are Christian. But don't, you don't have to come and tell me you're Christian. Let me see it with my eyes. Don't tell me that you just go to church. I want to see it. That's how we serve God in the job that we do. This thing about everybody had to know I'm a Christian. Let me tell you something. They will know that you're a Christian if you display it. Not what you say. Last week I said your declaration of lordship is verbal. But your submission to Christ is practical. If you're really submitted to Christ, it's in the actions. It's not in what you say. We have to move in our testimony to Christ. And here this is very important. We have to grow in Christ in such a way that we not only tell people about Christ, but others will be able to testify of us in Christ. When they saw the disciples, it was known that they had been with Christ. If we are encountered in the things that we do, on the job that we, we work, in the business that we do, wherever we are, can there be a testimony that we have been with Christ? That's our service to him, that people can see and people can know that we, have been Christi we are Christians. There are some people, their testimony is F word and this word and how people born and everything is bad word. And then you, with that same bad word mouth, that same cuss mouth, you come in and say, boy, come to church with me now. What church are you going? Don't tell them covenant life, eh? <laughs> Who's your pastor? Don't mention my name. They say that, say, well, you know, and now start to go. At least, uh, you know, you're allowed there to be a disclaimer. If you know that you're not, don't give them my number to call for no recommendation. Service, tell anybody, time to serve. This man had the bad attitude. He had the bad perception of his boss. And as a result of that, that which his boss gave him, he buried it. The gift that God has given you, sometimes we bury it and we don't share it with other people. When we talk about the gift, the real essence of what he's talking about is really the word of God. Yeah? And the incorruptible gift, that, that precious gift that God has given us is the word that we ought to share with other people. His word. So don't let us go about this life and, and just doing things from a wrong perspective and we can't now share this word with other people. Let us be able to tell people about God. Let us be able to tell. Let, let's look at one more scripture before we come to our close today. Turn with me to um, right there in Matthew 24, 45 to 51. Who then is a faithful steward? Because the whole aspect of our, our stewardship has to be faithfulness, not so? If we are not faithful, then we are not really a steward. When you look at that scripture that we just looked at in, in, um, in Matthew chapter 25, you saw that the theme of that scripture, of that parable, really is faithfulness. 
where he's looking to see which one is really faithful to do with the talents as he is required to do. Now look what he says here in Matthew 24, verse 45. Read it for me, please. A question is being asked. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? And this is an important question. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Who? Whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household. Now you'll recognize something that the faithful servant, even in the parable with the talent, was made to be a ruler. Not so? So the faithful servant is the one who actually got the positions after. Not the ones who may be seeking position, but the one who remained faithful in service. That's the one who is elevated. So he says here, who then is a faithful and wise servant? And he gives them, who the Lord made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is the servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayed his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We see here that God is identifying now this faithful servant. And he's saying here this, that who then is a faithful servant? Go back up to 45. Who then is a faithful and what? Wise servant. Whom the Lord hath made ruler over his house. To give them what? To give them what? Meat. A faithful servant has the responsibility to feed God's people. A lot of times in our life, brothers and sisters, we are looking for all types of things in church. Going to church and desiring to find a fellowship to be at, a part of, we have a lot of different options. A lot of things that we want to look for. How is the worship? How is the sanctuary? How is the this? How is the that? How is the people? How is... And we, and we have a lot of things. And when you look at this and you're invited to church, especially when you look at the, the, um, the, uh, the U.S. And, and different parts of the world, you see that, you know, they have different modes of worship. How, what's the style of worship? What's the type of preaching? All these things that are being asked. But in the last days when Jesus is looking for the faithful servant, because this is in the context of the last day, he says, who then is the faithful servant whom his Lord hath made rule over his household to give them what? Meat in due season. To provide the sustenance, to feed God's people. In Jeremiah 3.15, God says, I will give you pastors according to my heart who's going to feed you with knowledge and understanding. God's faithful servants are those who consistently feed his people. Those who commit to feeding the people of God with that which is going to sustain them and keep them unto that day of his coming. It is not about just doing things to keep you in church. It's going to benefit you very little 
if you remain in church and bust hell wide open. I wonder if you get what I'm saying to us. And when I look at what is taking place around the world and how we see Christianity evolving over the last 15 to 20 years, we are seeing a different type of mentality within Christianity. Whereby the desire is just to build a big mega church without feeding the people of God. Somebody talk about the service times. We have fast food that is being delivered in many churches. 15 minutes worship, half an hour word, 15 minutes wrap up. Half an hour break, next service. You all get out, next people come in. That's how worship, that's how service is going on. Sister Renny went to a worship conference some time ago and they were teaching on worship and they were talking about, you know, times of worship and things like that. And they were talking about the average worship time being 15 minutes. And when they, she said that they sing for 45 minutes, they say, oh my gosh, you all are blessed. <laughs> because it's unheard of. 15 minutes, half an hour worship for the most. Then you make the announcements and you, you have a half an hour preaching. And, and the preaching, of course, is very light. And there's no thing challenging you to live a better life. They, they, in fact, they say you're living your best life now no matter how you live. Sorry for those of you who... <laughs> and that's all it's about. But what about feeding God's people? What about us going into the word? And you know what's the bad part about it? And I think this is the most frightening aspect of it all, is that they get away with it. And these are the churches that are packed. These are the churches that continue to be packed and filled to capacity. 20,000, 15,000, 150,000 people. When you look at some of these things that are happening across the nations of the world, when you look at turn on um, some of those African stations, and you see the crap that is coming off of, uh, coming off of it. And people sit down and take these things. And we just accept it. Why are we as a church becoming so gullible? And instead of us looking now for word, we don't want word. When we start to hear preaching and we hear, start to hear teaching, and we get sleepy and we get tired because we don't have that drive to want to feed on God's word. And if you don't want to feed on God's word, guess what? Somebody will bring something for you to want. And that's why the word declares that in those last days you will be going after itching ears. This is why in the world, in our country today, people going after this prophet and going after that word and going after this and going after that. If we were to call a miracle service here today, now, yeah, pack out. Why? That's all people want. But how do you keep the miracle? You want healing service? Yes, we're going to lay hands on sick and they will heal. Yes. How do you keep it? How do you make sure that your healed self go to heaven and not to hell? How do we ensure that? So we want all types of things and, and the whole, we, we want it to look nice and we want it to look good and we want it to sound good. But how about the real thing, which is the word of God that is able to keep you until the coming of the Lord? This is why when Jesus is talking about a faithful servant, is the one who feeds my people. And look what he says. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, find him so doing. What does it mean? The servant who, when the Lord comes, he's continuing doing that which he was called to do. 
That's the blessed servant. And when you look at the word of God and even with the parable, we have the responsibility to invest in people's life the word of God. It's not my own teaching. My own philosophy really and truly benefits you nothing. What is going to help you is the word of God. That's going to transform your life. If you can stand on the word of God, Jesus said it this way. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You want freedom? You want liberty? You want deliverance? Somebody called me and asked me, Pastor, when is your deliverance service? I say, every service is deliverance. When is your healing service? Every service is healing. Why? You see, in our concept of religion, we believe that on a Wednesday morning, you need to have deliverance. Or on a Friday night, it's deliverance service. And your deliverance service has to have a specific type of worship, a specific type, and a specific thing. And let me tell you something. The word of God, the Bible declares, the entrance of the word brings light. So you want to get deliverance? You sit down and you receive the word. If there's a specific need for deliverance, we're going to lay hands and we're going to cast out devils. But guess what? You can't cast out the old man. The old man have to be crucified. And for many people in the churches, they're going after deliverance. And what is needed is not deliverance from no demon. It's the deliverance from the way they think. So that they see themselves in a particular way. And that has to change. So we have to change the way we think. And the only thing that can change a thought is another thought. Only thought changes thought. So we have to stop thinking the way we have been thinking and now start focusing on God's word. Because it is in God's word that your life can be changed. If we remain in the same state that we have always been, we will get the same thing that we have always received. You want liberty? Stand on God's word. My responsibility is to feed you God's word. And by the grace of God, until his coming, I am going to be found doing what he has called me to do. In Jesus' name. Let me just close with this. The problem that we have, why many of us brothers and sisters have not been able to distinguish between right from wrong, is because we don't spend time with God. And I want to encourage each one of us, let us arise up and spend time before God. Let us go into his word. I'm committed to teach you what God has been teaching us. That's my commitment to you. I will teach you what God has deposited within my heart. What he has shared in his word with me. But you must be committed to, to serve God in the way that he desires you to serve. You must be committed to go into God's word and understand. That's what it's about. Then you've got to be able to rise and say, Lord God, I will follow you. When we take the word of God and we just close it and we don't read it, then you will not understand if I am preaching the truth or not. This is my test. This is how you're going to test me. This is how you're going to appraise me as your pastor. You've got to look at this and make sure that I am in alignment with this. I wonder if you get what I'm saying. So that when you hear the preaching of God's word, you don't just take it there and sit down and say, okay, well, you know, that's it and that's it. There are too many people within the church setting 
who accept things that are not God's word as if it is truth because some prophet says it or because some people say it. And over the last couple of years, I said, I have to start telling people because there are too many people walking in deception. And we have to be able to say the truth is the truth no matter who denies it. And a lie is a lie no matter who says it. So let us arise and fulfill the purpose of God. He has given us a responsibility. Let us live up to that responsibility. You are called to study God's word. You are called to serve God in spirit and in truth. Let us arise up with the right attitude, the right heart, the right mentality, and let's serve God in spirit and in truth. You choose. You got to choose. Serving God is a personal choice. Hallelujah. Let's stand before God. Hallelujah. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you for this call to choose, to choose you to choose righteousness, to choose truth, to choose, Lord, Heavenly Father, to serve you in spirit and in truth. And even as we stand before your presence, we want to invite you, Lord, Heavenly Father, into our hearts to bring change in our lives. We are standing here in the presence of God and we have called on us to choose. If there's anybody here who decides, I want God in my life. I, I've never really lived my life for Christ. I've, I've I've done a lot of different things. I've done religion, and I've done, but I've never really lived for Christ. And you want to make that, deci- that decision now. You just lift one hand in the air, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to lead you in a prayer. If you are here this morning, and you say, I want my life to change. I want my life to be transformed. I, I choose God today. I choose to serve God. I've chosen a lot of different things in my times past, but today I choose God. If you are here this morning, and you say, yes, Lord. I choose you. You just lift one hand up in the air, and we're going to see. I see a couple of hands move very promptly. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Is there anybody else who say, yes, Lord, I surrender unto you. I want my life to be committed to you. Is there somebody else who says, I see another hand go up. Another hand. Oh, my God. Several persons who say, yes, Lord, I surrender. I choose Jesus today. I choose Christ. I choose to live my life for God. I want to put aside the other things. I want to put aside the other gods. The gods of my fathers. The gods of the Amorites. And we spent some time last day looking at that. But you are here this morning. And you say, I want God. I want Jesus in my life. You just hold your right hand up in the air and make this declaration in the name of Jesus. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I recognize that I am a sinner. And I need you as my savior. Lord, you have died for me. You laid down your life so that I can be saved. And today I accept that sacrifice on Calvary as for me. I invite you to come into my heart. Make me a new person. And help me to live for you. I choose to serve you. And from today on, I declare that my life will not be the same again. I declare that I will live for you. And I will serve you in spirit and in truth. Amen and amen.